Welcome to the newest episode of the Needless Things Podcast, where we talk about toys, movies, music, and all manner of pop culture dorkery. I am your host, Dave, and this is, in fact, the 300th episode of the Needless Things Podcast. Now, obviously, there are other episodes, uh, the minicast, uh, I think a couple of specials here and there, but this is the 300th episode of the podcast proper. And we do have, while I didn't plan any kind of big celebration or party or anything like that, I probably won't do that again until the 500th episode, Saints Preserve Us. Uh, We do have a very special topic, and that is the first ever live-action Star Wars television show, The Mandalorian. Our pals uh, Chad and Ryan are on to talk about the first season of this show Unfortunately, Beth, who is also from the Execute Order 66, or excuse me, Execute Chapter 66 podcast, which is coming soon, uh, could not make it. Uh, she lost a fight with a mudhorn, so couldn't be with us. But uh, Chad and Ryan are here to provide analysis of this first season. But before we get to that, I got a whole lot of news. So let's go ahead and bear down and uh, get to some news. You like that? Like that little sting there? I don't know if I'm going to do that every time. I just I want what I want is the old MTV news sting, uh, but obviously I probably can't use that because it's copyrighted. And also that's somebody else's thing. I want to find my own thing. I like that one for right now. We'll see if I even remember to do it next week. Uh, so here is the news. First of all, I want to give you guys a report on an online toy seller. Uh, that is, if if you go to any kind of like geeky, nerdy, especially toy-related websites, you've probably noticed the ads all over the place for Megalopolis Toys. Uh, They are, they've probably been around for a couple of years now, but over the last year I've really started to notice they have a presence in the advertising that I see. And it seems to me they're trying to compete with Big Bad and uh, Dorkside Toys, both of whom I endorse and have ordered from and had great experiences with. Uh, Probably not on the level of an entertainment earth, but, I mean, who is really? So, uh, Megalopolis Toys uh, had a big flash sale almost two weeks ago now. It was on a Monday, and they had some stuff that I wanted. They had a couple of wrestling figures marked way down. Uh, They had the uh, New Nightmare retro Freddy Krueger from NACA that I want, I I don't do this often, but I wanted to have one in the package and I wanted to have one to open because it looks like such a great figure and I've got one in the box right now that I'm going to put up on the wall with the rest of them, but I wanted one to open. I had just a couple of things here and there, a couple of things for Phantom Jr. uh, and they had some great prices. So I went on there and uh, checked everything out. I placed my order and waited expecting, as is normal with the internet toy selling business, to get a notification of shipment within a couple days. You know, certainly by Thursday or Friday. This was Monday. Uh, Nothing. Heard absolutely nothing back at any point. So on the following Monday, I sent an email 
attach my order number, said I placed this order a week ago and it hasn't shipped yet. Is this normal for Megalopolis? This is my first purchase here. Uh, maybe not the friendliest email, but also not, you know, I, I think it's it's pretty middle ground for the internet. Uh, there's no up, upsetness or anger or anything. It's just asking a question and stating a fact. And the response that I got was, Hi, David, because that's what I go by when billing is involved. Uh, I've gone ahead and placed your order at the top of our shipping queue. Once it's ready to ship, you'll receive an email with tracking information. Please let me know if you have further questions. Thank you, uh, Customer Relations Specialist. So, uh, one, this did not answer my question. Uh, Is this normal for Megalopolis? Uh, There is no... uh, This is unusual. We apologize for the delay. There's no... Well, we're a different kind of business. It sometimes takes a week or more for us to ship stuff out. Uh, nothing, no explanation whatsoever, which is, to me, the big omission from their response. Uh, and then this whole, I've gone ahead and placed your order at the top of our shipping queue. Well, I don't want that. Uh, I want to be in whatever spot my order came in. Don't give me some kind of special treatment because I asked you a question. Uh, just... Give me an explanation and let me know when the stuff's going to ship. So while I didn't find this response to be rude or inappropriate in any way, it didn't give me what I wanted. Uh, And now uh, this response came uh, four days ago. So it came later, later on, on the day that I sent it. So that's a pretty quick response. I sent it at, oh no, I take that back. Uh, I sent it at 3.34 on January 13th. And this came in, why don't I have a date on this? I believe it came in the next day. Uh, so let's say the 14th, whatever, three days ago. It doesn't, not a big deal. They, yeah, I give them a day or so to respond, and they did. Uh, it, and now it is Friday after that, almost two weeks since I placed that original order, and I still have not received a shipping notification. So... Uh, this to me is not, you know, nothing is wrong yet. I assume at this point I will at some point receive a shipping notification and I will at some point receive the things that I purchased. Um, but I will say I'm not going to order from this place again and, and not because I'm angry, but because this is a ridiculous amount of time to have to wait for products to come from an online store. Look, I'm not expecting anybody to compete with Amazon. I don't think this stuff should come in two days. That's unreasonable. Uh, This is an independent company selling toys online. But other independent companies selling toys online, uh, you know, ship your stuff out a day or two after you order it, and you have it within seven to ten days. In general, that's reasonable to me. Now we're coming up on seven to ten days. We're beyond seven to ten days, and they haven't even shipped it yet. So, uh... Uh, Megalopolis Toys does not have the Needless Things recommendation for whatever that's worth. And I don't want to talk shit about them necessarily, but I do want to give you, my valued listeners, a heads up on somebody that I've had a an experience that is less than what I expect. So there you go. If I were you, I would avoid Megalopolis Toys. Stick to Big Bad, stick to Dorkside, stick to Entertainment Earth. Those guys are great. They're the best uh, wrestling-wise, ringside collectibles, obviously. Uh, All trustworthy. All uh, deliver your stuff in a timely manner and handle their business. Now, I will say this. There is one uh, uh, caveat that Megalopolis recently took over distribution for the Four Horsemen's Mythic Legions toy line. 
which is currently shipping a new wave. And uh, I don't care. That's not my problem. Uh, if they couldn't handle it, they shouldn't have taken it on. And that's all I got to say about that. Uh, let's move on uh, to something a little more positive, a little more uplifting, a little more awesome. So I had a great time, as you guys know, at the Pig Face Show with our guest from last week, Ayatoya. It was unbelievable. It's, I think it's the best show I saw last year. It's one of the best shows I've seen in a long time. It was energizing. It was fun. Everybody was there to have a great time and enjoy this music. Uh, and it, it really made me want to see some more industrial acts. And lo and behold, this week, Ministry announced their industrial strength tour with KMFDM and Frontline Assembly. This tour is celebrating the 30th anniversary of The Mind is a Terrible Thing to Taste, and it is the same line. Now, Frontline Assembly was not on that tour, but KMFDM and Ministry were way, way back in 1989, uh, which I'll tell you right now, this whole anniversary versus birthday versus whatever thing, I, I'm not clear on it, and I really don't care. Uh what does matter is Ministry, KMFDM, and Frontline Assembly are coming to the Tabernacle in Atlanta. First of all, the Tabernacle, not Lakewood. Because that my initial thought when I saw this was it's probably at Lakewood, and I, I'm just not going outside in July uh, to see this. I have no interest in that. But then I saw it's at the Tabernacle, and I was like, oh, man. And then I saw that I was off, and I was delighted. And I bought two tickets as soon as I possibly could. Uh, this tour starts on July 1st in Seattle, and it concludes on August 1st in San Francisco. And I am 100% absolutely stoked about this. I can't wait. I haven't seen Ministry since Lollapalooza. I haven't seen KMFDM since 99, maybe. I, I might have seen them since then, but it's been 10, 15 years at least. Uh, and I've same for Frontline Assembly. I haven't seen them in a very long time. This is a fantastic tour. Uh, even if you're not necessarily a huge industrial music fan, this is going to be a badass show. I recommend it. If you're a fan of music, if you're a fan of good, inner, like high energy live shows or to get you pumped up and make you want to fucking go crazy, this is going to be a great show. So I'm super stoked this is happening. Uh, now we're going to switch gears a bit and go back to something not so super. This past Tuesday, Wednesday, uh, yesterday for me, uh, two days ago for you guys, or, or longer if you're not listening to this uh, the day it drops, Mezco finally put their 1989 Batman, Michael Keaton Batman, up for pre-order on their website. It is a Mezco exclusive. Now, at some point, you'll probably be able to get it from Big Bad, uh, maybe Entertainment Earth, maybe Dorkside. Uh, but it's a Mezco exclusive, which traditionally those have been, uh, you got to get on it and get them. They, sometimes they sell out within five minutes. Sometimes they linger for like a day. You don't know what the production numbers are. And honestly, for this figure, I didn't know what the popularity was going to be. Um, you know, for me personally, I adore Batman 1989, uh, uh Tim Burton's Batman. It's not called Batman 1989. It actually annoys me a little bit when it's referred to that way, but there's so much Batman out there. How do you categorize it? So Tim Burton's Batman, I recognize its flaws, but it, it simply, 
uh, it's too much of a pop culture milestone in my life to had too much effect on me personally for me to ever think anything poor poorly of it. Uh, and actually, if you go back to one of our episodes from the summer of 2019, uh, you can check out a live panel we did at Atlanta Comic Con that was all about Batman 1989. Matter of fact, our pal Chad J. Shonk flew in from the West Coast just to do this panel. It was incredible. It's a, it's a great panel. Go back and listen to that one. Uh, but anyway, so I knew it was pricey. I'll go ahead and tell you now. This figure was 110 bucks. That is a lot of scratch for a 6-inch action figure, for a 12th-scale for a action figure. But this is one of my favorite movies, one of my favorite costumes, my favorite action figure line, and I knew if I didn't get it, I would be mad at myself. And I also knew that if I didn't get it, and then they announced a Joker, which I don't think is very likely. Uh, there, as far as I know, there is one officially licensed Joker figure that features Jack Nicholson's likeness, and that is the Hot Toys release uh, that came out seven years ago, maybe. And uh, that I'm still kicking myself for not getting, by the way. Uh, but uh, I just knew there would be too much regret if I didn't get this figure. So I. I figured out i put the money aside i decided where it was going to come from and and how i was going to do it and i've got to get this figure i have to get it i have to uh it's too big of a deal to me to not have this on my shelf uh and it's uh, look it's as close to being worth it as it can get it's not it's not as big as the john wick or the punisher which cost a, a bit less um but it does come with three heads. One of those heads has articulated eyeballs, which I, I have a sudden fascination with articulated eyeballs, thanks to the amazing Yamaguchi Harley Quinn figure uh, that I recently acquired That that's the best action figure. As a matter of fact, if you go to my best of on needlessthingspodcast.com for uh, 2019, that one figure of the year came in at the last minute and just blew me away. So now articulated eyeballs are like a thing for me. Like that's a feature I want. And one of the heads on this Keaton Batman has that. It comes with a different grap, uh, a couple of different grapnel guns. Uh, you know, the things you would expect from a standard Mezco release. Uh, but the 110 is, it's, it's high. For sure, 100% it's high, especially to not include an unmasked Michael Keaton head. Uh, but, you know what, I had to have it. So I got online, uh, I was at work, but fortunately we got the internet back a few years ago, so it's not as much of a challenge as it was back in the Maddie Collector days when I had to like sneak off to my bathroom to order stuff on my phone. Uh, now I can actually sit at a work computer like a grown-up and order th- toys. I'm not sure that phrase worked out too well or sentence worked out too well. Uh, but anyway... Send the work computer, and it took 29 minutes to finally log in. Uh, now, I did, to be fair to Mezco, I did have to update my payment information, and that's my fault. I should have done that prior to the pre order. Um, but it kept booting me out. Uh, it emptied my shopping cart one time, which is always a moment of panic. If you know anything about toy orders, uh, when you go and look up and all of a sudden your shopping cart shows zero, that usually means it's sold out. Uh, so it got logged out. The website stalled out. The website booted me out. The web page was just gone for a minute at one point. 
Um, and then I finally got to the point where I had my my uh, payment method updated. Uh, everything seemed to go through, and then it just stalled out. And then finally, after five, six attempts, I don't know, I tried, because I was trying different payment methods. I was trying PayPal. I was trying a credit card. Uh, I was just trying to get one of these because, you know, that panic sets in when things aren't working and you know other people around the world. And like I said, I really didn't know how popular this one might be, but judging from the behavior of the website, it was pretty darn popular. Um, So... You know, knowing other people around the world are getting this thing, the orders are going in, and even if even if my experience was shitty and everybody's experience was shitty, you know, orders were getting through. Uh, but finally, I got the confirmation screen. Thank you for your order. Your order number is this. You've gotten an email. Uh, great, awesome, excellent. Closed it out. Uh, at one point during this whole process, I even got up and walked into the kitchen because we can't, um, due to the nature of my job, I can't use my cell phone while I'm at my uh, workstation. Uh, so I got up, went to the kitchen, tried to pull it up on my cell phone. That was even worse than the, the PC. So I went back to the PC. Uh, but anyway, got my confirmation, uh, got back up again, went and checked to check my email on my cell phone. And I've got two emails. Uh, two of my orders actually went through. So now I am getting two of these, uh, this Michael Keaton Batman figure that cost 110 freaking dollars. I should probably call tomorrow and explain what happened because I'm sure I'm not the only one something like this happened to. I'm sure they're aware of the problems that were going on and just ask them to please cancel the order. Uh, there was a $27 non-refundable deposit, but I feel like uh, I've dealt with Mezco a couple of times with different quality issues, different things, and they're always incredible. They're always super, super nice, like go above and beyond. I don't think it would be a problem to cancel the second order. But on the other hand, it sold out. Uh, the, you you can still get on the wait list. So if you're listening to this and you're like, oh shit, why didn't I get one of those? You can still go to the Mezco website and get on the wait list for this figure. And what the wait list is, is basically waiting for people to cancel orders. Uh, and if, if you're queued up high enough, you, you can still get a figure. And it worked for me with uh, the Purple Catwoman. Uh, I ended up getting one of those. I did not. I, I've done two waitlist items. I, th- I think two. Uh, one of them was the blue and yellow Wolverine. One of them was the purple Catwoman. And I got through on the purple Catwoman. Uh, the blue and yellow Wolverine never came through. Uh, although I'm still listed as being on the waitlist for it. So there's still hope, you guys. Um, but uh, so, yeah, go get on the waitlist if you want to. Or hit up your old pal Phantom, uh, Dave. Uh, hi, David. And. Uh, let him know. Let me know that uh, you'll pay me back for that extra Michael Keaton Batman that I'm going to have sitting around because I I think it might be worth my while to hang on to that thing. Uh, and besides, like I said, it's it's my favorite toy line. It's one of my favorite movie costumes. One of my favorite movies. Uh, you know, maybe it'd be worth having one in the box, even though that's a pretty pricey. Uh, MIB Lucy situation to be contemplating. Okay, so anyway, that was my experience with that. Uh, I, you know, I was going to discuss some of these movie trailers that came out. Real quick, I'm just going to say the new Mutants trailer uh, looks awesome. Uh, the new Birds of Prey trailer looks awesome. The Morbius trailer, eh, meh, didn't really do anything for me. Uh, I'm very interested to find out 
things about the movie, but I'm not that interested in the movie itself, despite the fact that it features Jared Leto and Matt Smith uh, and and vampire stuff. You know, I'm not saying it looked bad. It's just, I think it's the trailer. I think the trailer was dull, and I think it's the fault of whoever put the trailer together. I don't necessarily think it's the fault of the movie. So I'm going to be keeping my eye on that one. I mean, obviously, we're going to end up going to see it because we go see these things. Uh, and then finally... Real quick, because I've gone way over the line in this introduction, like I have the past couple of weeks, I swear I've got to start turning these into mini-casts. Uh, I, I just really quick wanted to say that I was off, aside from one day, uh, as you've heard me bellyache about for the past three weeks probably, I, I had to go in and work uh, overnight on Christmas Day, but aside from that, I was off work for about three weeks. In that time, I really wasn't on the internet at all because when I'm at home, I'm doing other things. I'm not sitting looking at websites, looking at news or whatever. Um, Every once in a while, I'll pull my phone out and and do a little Facebook or Instagram or whatever, but I I don't really read the internet when I'm not at work. And uh, it was really nice because when I got back into work, I went back in uh, last Monday. As a matter of fact, it was the Monday I placed the order from Megalopolis. Uh, I got back into work and I was really reminded what a shitty place the internet is because it's a bunch of shitty people being shitty about literally anything you can think of. And, uh, you know, it's my fault for going into the comment section of places like io9. But you, you, when you wade through the assholes, there's interesting opinions there. There's insights there. I've seen a lot of things pointed out that I've enjoyed uh, discovering. People with better memories than me or better Google abilities than me, perhaps, uh, will put things together about stuff that I'm interested in. So it's, you know, I and I need stuff to do during downtime at work. Uh and it's the downtime comes in such a way that it's not practical for me to write like I used to, but I can go on, you know, every once in a while and sort of poke through a few comments. But, uh, yeah, just sitting there, I was just like, gosh, it was so nice not being exposed to this garbage for three weeks and not having this negativity, not having an awareness of this negativity and these trolls and these people who are looking for any excuse to to complain and to hate about hate on something or or to piss in somebody else's cheerios or or whatever the case may be because so much of it seems to be that so many people uh seem to be delighting that uh oh, I wish I could scheidenfreude I feel like I probably mangled the pronunciation uh I learned that from an old Batman Elseworlds book but uh I think scheidenfreude is is a huge thing and it means taking pleasure in the pain of others and i feel like there's way too much of that on the internet and it kind of sucks but uh here at needless things we try and uh make others feel pleasure Uh, i i want everybody to enjoy stuff i go into things looking to enjoy now it doesn't always work out and i'm not gonna lie i'll be honest when i end up in a situation where woof this this wasn't as good as i was hoping it would be but, uh, you know, we want to enjoy stuff. We want you guys to enjoy stuff. We want to have a good time. We want to have fun. And, uh, you know, as much as I may bitch about certain things, which, by the way, there are certain things that I have made a resolution to not discuss anymore, uh, you know, I don't want to shit on anybody else's good time. If you like something, you like it, and that's great, and I, and I don't want to... Uh, I don't want to throw shade at anybody for liking something. And and I'll never do that. I'll talk about how much I don't like something, but I'll never say that someone else 
is is wrong or bad or whatever for liking something because it's all subjective. We all enjoy things in our own way. And now it is time for us to all enjoy talking about The Mandalorian, which is uh, fascinating and different and not what we expected, but also sort of what we expected. So sit back, relax after this incredible marathon intro, and enjoy me, Chad, and Ryan breaking down the first season of live-action Star Wars television. talk about the Mandalorian you guys I'm glad you guys are here to help me out because it's been a long day and I'm going to be powering through this one uh we unfortunately are down a Beth uh she she is uh, down with the sickness which I'm sure she'd be thrilled to know that reference was made in her name I like to think she found out the Hawkeye series is probably canceled and so she's gone into a depression is that a true thing (laughs) apparently what no or she drank herself happy and (laughs) uh so we're going to talk about the mandalorian this this is uh really no significance but this is the 300th episode of the needless Mm -hmm. things podcast uh and i am pleased that it worked out that something this special uh is going to be our topic because i i do think this is indeed a very special thing and i think we all agree on that i do this is the so this is the first appearance of venom Number three hundred. Never mind. Sorry. <laughs> um, that's that's we'll uh, we'll talk about Venom on a different episode. Yeah, and and I Morbius. We'll we'll talk about the the Spider Sony verse or whatever. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I I agree. This is a special occasion. I do. Yeah. Uh, so I, I we're not going to do like an episode by episode rundown. Although obviously we are going to talk about plot points from the episodes. We're going to spoil stuff. So if for some reason you haven't watched The Mandalorian yet. Uh, stop. Watch it and come back. I guess. Uh, but we're yes. there. Yeah. There are basically six uh, sort of aspects of the show that I want to discuss, and we're going to jump all over the place because that's what we do here. Uh, but we're we're tonight. We're going to talk about the tone, the effects, the design, the music, the cast, and the story. Uh, in no particular order, just as they come up. But those are the things that I sort of sent to you guys and asked you to focus on and think about um, just in the context of Star Wars, but also in the context of the first weekly episodic live-action Star Wars show. And the first thing I want to throw out at you guys, uh, I've, I've got a few notes here with specific sort of uh, thoughts for you guys to to think about, but... Uh, the first thing here is we've been hearing about a live-action Star Wars television show for a very long time, for decades, I would say. Mm-hmm. But it's probably for the best that it took this long to happen. I absolutely agree. I mean, the thing with the Star Wars 
live action show, so much of it is going to depend on the special effects and it not looking too cheesy. And so I think if we had gotten one earlier, <clears throat> the effects would have killed it. Or, or they would have had to, because this is a fairly... Uh, it's funny because it's amazing to look at. It's beautiful. There are a few spots where the effects don't quite achieve maybe what we'd like, but for as small and stripped down a story this is compared to other Star Wars we've seen, it's at the same time a gorgeous and epic show. And expensive. <laughs> yes, and very expensive. So do you do you have some specific numbers, uh, Chad? Uh, the, only, the only number I saw was about $14 million an episode. Per yeah. episode. Eight Which episodes. Which is, if you think about it, I mean, that's that's the number I saw. It could be, you know, give or take. But it's also, remember these episodes are a lot shorter, or not a lot shorter, but significantly shorter than your average episode of uh, your average one hour show. Sure. Or, um, or on, you know, if you're talking HBO, your average hour and five minute, hour and ten minute show. <laughs> right, yeah. And I believe 14 is more expensive than any episode of Game of Thrones, save maybe the finale I, or something. Yeah, but, I had read that same thing. It's yeah. okay, though. They'll make it back that first week Baby Yoda merch hits the shelf. Yeah, seriously. We'll, we'll get to that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We, we will get to that. Um, yeah. Which, okay, and then here's the other thing I've got to throw out. Uh, something that I think we have to accept. Chad, I know you're going to chafe at this a little bit. Okay. But much in the same way that we refer to facial tissue as Kleenex, <laughs> and, we re- and we refer to those stupid wheeled things as hoverboards, I think we have to accept that the the common vernacular, the colloquialism has taken over, and whether we like it or not, this is Baby Yoda. Now, it is not in fact Baby Yoda, but in name, this is Baby Yoda, because the culture has determined that that's the case. Are you speaking of the child? (laughs) (laughs) I am indeed speaking of the child, or Yoda, which I like Yoda Baby, personally. That's my preference. (laughs) Yeah. But uh, that was that was was your suggestion as well. I will accept Baby Yoda, um, with the caveat that it's not a Baby Yoda. Right, correct, yeah. and we know that. Just like we know when you use puffs, it's not Kleenex, but you ask That's for true. a Kleenex. Mm-hmm. Or when you're in the South, if someone asks if you want a Coke, you're like, "Sure, I'll have a Pepsi." Right? Oh gosh, Coke theory, just means Coke just means soda. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's the same kind of thing. So yep. we we may not like it, but yep. uh, yeah, we, we're fine. we're gonna go with it. Uh, so yeah, it's it's definitely good that we didn't get this until 2019, where the technology was at the point where it could present the story, the effects, uh, and the world that we needed to have for an effective Star Wars live action television show. Well, and I worry who would have run it. I mean, if they had, if Lucasfilm had pushed this through, we would have got a George Lucas show, which who the hell knows what that would have been about, or what crazy midichlorian journal of the wills, who knows? Well, there were there were multiple over the last I don't know fifteen years. There were multiple times where a call went out that like Lucas was staffing up writers for a Star Wars show, and because uh, I, I know because I tried to get on every single time and and with no success, but the the rumors were always that it was that Star Wars Underworld show. That it wasn't yeah, that far yeah. off from this. That right. it was that it was going to take place in the underworld with bounty hunters and things like that. We don't know any specifics. There are scripts written. Yeah, there are there well, are scripts some out there somewhere. And didn't part of those become thirteen thirteen? 
the game that's like made and just on the shelf somewhere? I don't think the game ever got finished, but yeah, it. it um, it, I believe it was part of that. Yeah, he always wanted to do something that was, you know, ground level underworld stuff. And so. and over the course of the rumors for the underworld show, we heard everything from in the bowels of Coruscant to out on the outer rim to you know. But but the consistent thing was that it was going to be about the, sort of the fringe in the underworld and the the crime, the 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 huts and the and the whatever else criminal elements. And that's probably a budgetary decision as well, right? You could do that stuff a little cheaper. Yeah, right. You know, yeah. at the end of the day, um, more so than you can Jedi and spaceships. So, uh, so let's talk a little bit about the talent that came together to make this show. Uh, obviously, in in our shared opinion, most likely uh, the two key names were Filoni and Favreau. Yep. What do we know about? I mean, we know that Favreau obviously is a golden boy for Disney. Uh, he is. As, as much as Feige is the guiding hand of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Favreau is the one that planted the seed, I think it's fair to say. And then from there has gone on to do these live-action... The, the Well, his Jungle Book, I think, is what caught a yeah. lot of people's attention. Yeah, I mean, it, it was... He's he's proving to be an interesting filmmaker. It's not the trajectory I would have guessed watching Swingers all those years ago. <laughs> no, no, not I, at all. I was totally about to make a he's so money joke. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. turns out he is. Yeah, he's, and he's and I don't think he did know it. Yeah. No, no, he didn't. Uh, uh, and then no. Dave, Dave Filoni, the other side uh, of that creative coin, uh, coming you know already from Star Wars with the very successful and and critically and fan-beloved Clone Wars and Rebels cartoons that, for a generation, is their Star Wars. And I don't know, have we ever kind of got a breakdown of how the two of them work together? Like, I kind of get the feeling that Filoni, you know, handles more of the story lore side, and that's why he was brought in, while Favreau... You know, obviously has more experience with live action kind of stuff, and so that's why they kind of paired those two together. I have, Chad. I don't know if you've got different or more information. I haven't honestly seen much about their process, but I do think the assumption is generally that uh, Filoni is sort of the the tone and story guy and Favreau is maybe more of the script and technical guy right yeah I think I mean Filoni we can say is the second most important Star Wars storyteller of all time yes Um, uh, he has done the most to sculpt the universe outside of anybody above you know uh, uh, more than anybody besides George sorry Um, is he the well second most important storyteller or story adapter well, that's fair. That's fair. But and I also, say that with all the love in the world, because yeah. everything that he does, as far as I'm concerned, is golden. Well, he also, remember, they met because John Favreau played Pre Vizsla on the Clone Wars cartoon. That's right. So they had, which does tie into episode three, we'll get to chapter yes. three. Yes. Um, but, but I think their relationship started there. Um, and so I, I don't know the story. I don't know if Favreau said I want Filoni, if Disney said I want Filoni. I, I don't know how that happened. It seems like a good fit um, 
Favreau writes nearly every episode, right? I think there's only one he didn't write. Uh, let's see here. John Favreau wrote episodes one through four and seven and eight. Oh, okay. Uh, right. He he is he in the credits. I actually made some notes, you guys. Oh, Dave Filoni wow. wrote one and Chris Yost. Okay. Um, yeah, Favreau is credited as the creator. He's an executive producer uh, and, of course, the voice of Paz Vizsla. Uh, Filoni yes. is an executive producer, the writer of episode five, obviously. I mean, you can tell. Uh, mm-hmm. And he directed the pilot, which is very important, uh, and we'll talk about that in a second. Um, wrote episode, or uh, directed episode five, and was Trapper Wolf, uh, one of the X Wing pilots in episode Yes, he was. Episode he was. Yeah. Six, I think it was. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I believe it was six. Yeah, yeah, that was actually those three X-wing pilots were actually Filoni, uh, Rick Famuyiwa, right. yeah, I don't know how to say it, and uh, Deborah Chow. Oh, uh, okay. Who, who the were, other directors? Yes, yes, exactly. Which I think is great. I loved it when I found that out. I didn't know it watching it, but when I when I found I knew it, it was Filoni. I recognized Filoni. Uh, well, once I knew it, I was like, how did I not realize that? But uh, yeah. he wasn't wearing a cowboy hat. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, and then, yeah, it was very interesting, episode six, which is one of the more fun, like, even more standalone episodes than the others, I feel like, uh, based on a story by Christopher Yost, who wrote a lot for Dark Horse. Yeah. Um, right. I think he wrote Buffy for a while. Or... Yeah, yeah. He Well, he's been all over the, like, he's done a lot of that, uh, uh, what's the word licensed. I'm looking for? Yes, yes, licensed. Thank you. That's exactly. And he's very good at it. He, uh, it seems to me that he takes jobs where he knows and loves the characters because everything I've read of his, he he understands what he's writing very well. It doesn't feel like fill-in stuff. He's also worked as a screenwriter on the last two Thor films. Oh well, there you go. Another yeah. one that's been pulled into that Disney Marvel Star Wars fold. Yep. Uh, Deborah Chow, who directed episodes three and seven. Mm-hmm. Bryce Dallas Howard uh, directed episode four, and uh, she did. Yes, a note that I found very interesting was uh, that she she and Deborah Chow both said that they had a lot of creative freedom in in doing their episodes, and uh, Ron Howard, <laughs> upon hearing that, was <laughs> surprised and impressed. <laughs> <laughs> they. Uh... It is funny, yeah, because um, uh, Bryce Howard created probably the most memeable moment of the whole series, right? Like, yeah. She, the, the meme of the series is in her episode. Yeah. Yeah. So. And actually, it's probably one of my – I think that is my favorite episode of the series. Yeah, we'll get into that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then uh, Taika Waititi, who I have an interesting fan relationship with, uh, direct, directed episode eight and is the voice of IG-11 – and I think potentially in the future other IGs. We'll see how that turns out. Right. Uh, and then this was cool. I didn't realize this. Uh, Matt Lanter, who voiced Anakin on Clone Wars, mm-hmm. was Davin, who's a New Republic soldier that was... Was he the one in Episode Six? But that guy wasn't really a soldier. I'm trying to figure out wh- where he showed up. Where did we even know. see New Republic soldiers? I don't know. I mean, it kind of had to be the guy on the the prison ship, because I think that's the only... 
I think that is him. Okay. I think I remember reading that. Okay. Yeah. I think yeah. I remember seeing his name in the credits. Yeah. And that that makes sense. Uh, and then the last two sort of pre-discussion notes I have. Uh, season sure. 2 has been announced for fall of 2020. And another thought provoker for you guys, because this gets thrown around because it's what people do. Are we even interested in any kind of theatrical release about this concept and these characters? No. No. I agree. I'm not either. <laughs> I don't see the point of it. No, I don't understand why you would. Uh, but that's, you know, people have asked, and uh, of, of course, course. The, the the creator's response is, is always, you know, well, anything is possible. Because you don't want to just outright say no to something like that. But uh, uh, no, I don't, I don't see why it would ever be necessary. Uh, so those are, oh, and then finally, uh, I, I skipped over this one before because I wanted to talk about Favreau and Filoni. Uh, Ludwig Göransson uh, provided the score. He did indeed. Which is the most, look, nothing, John Williams is, is a different category of score. But to me, this show has the most interesting and far, uh, different tonal movements, different feelings, different worlds represented uh, of any Star Wars music we've ever heard. It, it, it has, every episode has a theme. Every planet has a theme. Uh, there's so much going on with the music here, but it's all held together by this sort of central, uh, I mean, the Mandalorian theme. It's, it's fantastic, and it's different, but it still feels right for Star Wars. Yeah, it's definitely one I find myself like humming or like it. It sticks with you, which some of the other themes they've tried have not. It well, is a complete departure from Star Wars films, though. I mean, it, it, from Star Wars music, which I, I I enjoy, but it is a complete departure. Well, and it needed to be because the, everything about this says we are looking to recreate a very specific style of episodic television show, and. You know, going along with that is a memorable TV theme song. Like, that's a staple of the sort of, like, Western shows and old-school shows that are sort of inspiring a lot of what we see in The Mandalorian. You got that theme song. You've got Have Gun, Will Travel. You've got Rawhide. You've got, like, those were important elements of those shows, and I think... They, you know, without without it literally being the Mandalorian, like they have created that feel. Uh, which there's an excellent parody video where they do that. that I think oh, really? Oh, yeah. Oh, nice. One of the old '50s Western themes over it. Oh, great! I've got to find that. That's awesome. Uh, so now we can dig into what the show. Now, now that we've talked a little bit, are, do you guys have any more thoughts about the creators that we just mentioned? Anything specific you wanted to say before we dig into plots? No, no, not the top of my head. No, you pretty much did everything. Uh, so, how important is it that this show? And, and obviously, it's very important. We're, we're more going to discuss why. How important is it that this show is live action? Because story-wise, looks-wise, everything, it could very easily have been done in the same style as Clone Wars and Rebels. Obviously, it would not have had the same impact. It would not have uh, 
we would have embraced it, but it wouldn't have been, I think, as emotionally uh, important to us if it had had that animated style. Well, I think a big part of it, too, is I can tell somebody I watched The Mandalorian and, you know, lately everybody's like, oh, me too. But if I say, yeah, I watched The Clone Wars and Rebels, they come on Cartoon Network, you get weird looks. Right, like, right. It's not acceptable to watch the cartoon. Not acceptable, but you know, there's the average person isn't watching the cartoon. But if you put live action, they'll do it. Right. As as far as dorkery has come over the past ten years or so, you still get funny looks if you tell people tell certain people, large segments of the population, that you sit down and watch Cartoon Network. Yeah. I don't watch a lot of animation in general. Um it's not not. It's just a personal preference. I just don't watch a ton of it. I don't look down on it. I just don't. Um, Star Wars is an exception, so I watch you know Resistance. But um, but yeah, I think by going live action, you uh, increase your install base by quite a few people um, and the the your your initial audience um, by going live action. So it is important for what they're trying to do. I don't think it's necessarily important or necessary for telling the story. Um, but. I think, if anything, live action, too, kept it a little more grounded. I think animation, it might have led them to more, you know, jetpacks and more stuff you can do that doesn't cost you a lot of money, more stuff in space, that kind of thing. And so that live action really helped them with that gritty angle they were going for. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because you can do, uh, and and as you can see, as Clone Wars progressed, it, it did get more fantastical and wilder, and Rebels... It went even further with a lot of sort of mystical elements and crazier stuff that was done that if they had had the restrictions of shooting a live action show, which granted we, we say live action with the full understanding that most of this was shot in the unreal engine. Yeah. But, <laughs> but uh, you, you get what I'm saying. There's, there is a certain, I think restrictions are important to creativity mm-hmm. And this, you know, doing this in live action presents a, a number of considerations that animation would not. Yeah. Uh, which brings us to my next note that I will uh, recite to the best of my ability. Leave it, you cowards. That was terrible. That's the worst Werner Herzog anybody's ever done. <laughs> but that is in reference to the uh, the child puppet, the baby Yoda puppet. Uh-huh. that they shot scenes with and out of fear that it would not look good they were going to reshoot the scenes with the possibility of inserting a digital baby Yoda and Werner Herzog uh, basically tore their asses out for even thinking such a thing I hadn't heard that <laughs> oh you, um, you weren't yeah. aware of this he yeah they no. um, in his scene with the child when uh, the Mandalorian uh, brings the child back to Werner Herzog uh, they shot the whole scene and then they started to reset uh, with the intention of shooting it again so that they could digitally insert Baby Yoda into the scene in the event that the puppet didn't read well. Right. And apparently Werner Herzog was infuriated and said, <laughs> leave it, you cowards! <laughs> like, really got onto them for it. And that was a big part of why we have a puppet. Or, or a, a CGI-enhanced puppet. Which cost $5 million. I saw that today. That's how much it co- that puppet costs. Well, which... it's going to make them far, far more than that back. So That is true. Uh, um, I really like the use of the puppet, too, because 
there's definitely times where you can feel the presence of it. Like it's there. Like he picks it up. You know, different people pick it up, and there's the weight of it. Like I, I think it's really good. They did the puppet. Oh, you can um, tell. I mean, you you can. Yeah. There is a. That's it's why uh, to me the the apex of puppetry is the CGI enhanced puppetry that we're seeing in so many things, like the Dark Crystal now, because right. these fantastic characters have a weight on the screen that pure CGI does not. That's why motion capture works better than yeah. just pure CGI. And I would like to say. If Bo Brown is listening, I will put off my Siflin Ollie request for one year to trade it for Baby Yoda. Baby Yoda. <laughs> oh, man, can you imagine? Uh, okay, so just for, for Chad's benefit and uh, for for the benefit of the listeners, here is uh, a snippet of the story as it was reported uh, by The Hollywood Reporter. Uh, we would shoot clean plates because we could do a great ILM CGI character if we needed to. We wanted to, this is Favreau. We wanted to try using the old techniques, and then you could always fall back on the CG one if it didn't work. That's where a funny moment on set between Herzog and a puppet came into play. Herzog filmed a scene with a puppet, and the filmmakers then removed it for another take. Though Favreau and Filoni declined to name the puppet, they seemed to be speaking of Baby Yoda. Herzog goes, "What are you doing?" Recalled Filoni. Filoni told Herzog they were removing the puppet to shoot a clean plate. Only Herzog didn't want the puppet removed. He wanted Favreau and Filoni to believe in themselves and in the puppet. He says, you are cowards. Leave it. Leave it, Filoni recounted to huge laughs from the crowd. He was so committed. And apparently, Herzog, beyond that, spent the entire day, like, playing with the Baby Yoda puppet. <laughs> with I that pay... big Imperial medal on. That... <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I would pay upwards of $100,000 to be in that room to listen to that conversation. Oh, my gosh, I know. It, it would be absolutely amazing. Uh, so, yeah, so there there you go. That's a nice little story from the set. And, and, again, you know, not only do we have Herzog to thank for his incredible, unique performance, uh, but for, you know, the possibly for the Yoda puppet being there at all. Yeah, I, I I just like puppets, so that's okay. Yeah, like I, yeah. I, I like you know I like Muppets. I like the Dark Crystal. I like puppets, so it doesn't. It's I like it a lot. It's cool. Yeah. Uh, so I, I've uh, brought up a, a whole lot of stuff. I'm sure you guys have notes as well. Um, mm. Ryan, is there anything specific that you you were sort of chomping at the bit to talk about? Um, I think one of the things I'd like to talk about is the different actors they brought in to play. Um, I think some of them were real did really well and I really liked it. I think there were a few misses. Um I think Carl Weathers is amazing. Uh I don't for some reason I almost out of hold all of that show, he really feels Star Wars to me. I agree. Um he's kind of a mix of Lando and Han, but kind of different. He's kind of shitty, but every once in a while, you know, does the right thing. Like he just feels like a really good Star Wars character. Um and the same for Cara Dune. Like, she is now one of my favorite characters in all of it, and I hope she has an even bigger part in season two. To, um, to bounce off of what you just said, uh, a, a small thing that I love about the show is it has the classic conflicting pronunciations that Star Wars has always had. Yep. Uh, we have, her name is Cara Dune, but she is referred to as Cara Dune Cara. in the show. Uh, reading the expanded universe stuff that I did for years and years and years, I always pronounced in my head, pronounced it Twi'lek, uh, 
until Clone Wars came along and we found out it was Twi'lek until we get to The Mandalorian, where it is pronounced both ways in different times. <laughs> Which, you know, that makes sense. The real world, people say sure. lots of different words sure. differently. That's great. Um, now, there are some. I did not think Bill Burr worked. Um, he took me out of it. That might be because... I watch a lot of his stand-up and listen to podcasts and things like that, so it was like really distracting to me yeah, that that was yeah, Bill yeah. Burr. Um, but, you know, the rest, I think the cast has been really, really strong. Um, May I put up one more that I didn't care for, which was Horatio Sands. Um, oh, yep, didn't like that one either. Is <laughs> Mithril. I was actually really worried because that scene felt like a comedy scene off an episode of Angel from 15 years ago. Um, like with the, you know, the, it was just a guy with face paint on. It felt really cheap to me, and uh, I didn't like her the way Sans played him at all. It was too. That was where it got too contemporary for me. Yeah. In a way. Well, and Jason Sudeikis pulled me out too. Um, I didn't. That whole scene. I didn't hate the scene as much. Oh, see, I didn't hate the scene as much, but he pulled me out. Um, I'm gonna admit, I don't know where Sudeikis was. He's he was one of one of the biker just, scouts in the in the, oh, the heavily. YTT scene. Mm. Okay, yeah. Okay. Um, Sands, now, I'm not familiar with Horatio Sands, really. So that, like, yes, that scene. What you're you're 100 right. It was very angely. Yeah. But I went into went into this show determined to not immediately hate things that felt different from Star Wars to me because. That's fair. We are, you know, so, some of the sentiments I've expressed in the past do hold up that Star Wars needs to be different things and have different tones and, and play different ways outside of the saga. So I I really sort of steeled myself for some tonal things that maybe I wouldn't like or or some things that didn't feel consistent to me. So like that, I was aware of it being a little off, but it didn't bother me. Uh, and Bill Burr, uh, again, I'm not that familiar with him, but he, it's really weird because I found his character very grating, but he was supposed to be. Right. And he didn't. You don't cast Bill Burr to be likable. Right. I, I would assume not because he just came off as a douche and it was like, I don't like this guy but he's doing a really good job of being somebody you don't like. Like I, I don't, he didn't really take me out of it, but unlike Ryan, you know, I, I don't know him that well. Yeah. It's kind of like me with, uh, what's his name? Uh, snap. Oh yeah. That drove me crazy. Cause I'm too familiar with Greg Grunberg from everything else that he's done with like JJ Abrams. So seeing him in a star Wars movie, just my I, I had like cognitive dissonance over it so i get where you're coming from yeah now on the other hand too nick nolte was amazing uh, unbelievable like, but we weren't looking at nick nolte right <laughs> i mean close yeah it's not that far off from the real nick nolte right yeah. and he got you know one of the big catchphrases for the whole show so yes good for nick nolte yes uh, i thought amy sedaris was, was great uh, she was very funny but didn't to me veer off too far into it just being comedy. Yep, I agree with that. Uh, and you know she can't help her face; it's just funny, right? 
She had a kind of a Ripley vibe too, which and, uh, I thought was kind of funny. It, well, and her little pit droid companions and everything like that. That felt very. That it was it was good. I I liked that. Now, how yeah. did we feel about him ending up on Tatooine? <sighs> I did. I didn't love it. I just it didn't bother like, me a bit. I'm not gonna lie. I it's fine. Whatever. Here was yeah. my question. Okay. If they were going to go to Tatooine, why didn't they have the Jawa sequence on Tatooine? Uh, that's a fair question. Instead and... of deciding the Jawas were living on other planets other than their native home. Well, and I do have to wonder if maybe at one point that wasn't the case. Yeah. Because the planet was Navarro. Navarro, uh, yes. looks an awful lot like Tatooine. <laughs> Yeah, it does. It does. Uh, in fact, a lot of early um, uh, headlines I'd see online were like talking about tat- they they would they called it Tatooine on yeah. the in the episode. Just they just assumed that it was right because there I were mean, Jawas and sand. I just find myself, you know, Jakku now Navarro Tatooine. I have questions where the oxygen is coming from on these planets. Like, if you just show me one, I'll be like, all right, you know, it's kind of unique. But now we've seen many planets that is nothing but sand, and so I'm not sure how that works. Not that it needs to be answered, but, you know. Yeah, and that's one thing. Now, I, I, honestly, I had not thought about the oxygen problem before. <laughs> but, where are they pulling moisture from? Like, but where's it being made? I don't have a problem with the Star Wars planets being sort of singular biomes. Is that the word I'm looking for? Yeah, no, I don't either. That's fine, whatever. It's, it's fantasy science fiction. I yeah. don't have an issue yeah. with that. It's the desert of Tatooine. It's the swamps of Dagobah. Uh, right, right. That's yeah. fine. Whatever. Yeah. Um, well, oh, uh, old Watiti. I thought he did good as IG-11. Oh, he was great. Uh, he was great. I was yeah. scared when it was him that we were going to get, you know, some Silly. Korg, basically. Right, right. Shaky robot, and I, I thought it did well. It was also crazy seeing an IG robot in motion like that. That was... So good. So good. <laughs> oh, my gosh. After Because think about it. Since we were kids... We've been told that IG-88 is a bounty hunter. Every figure we have of IG-88 is the spindliest, like, Big. goofiest, most falling over thing in the world. You could that I could have snapped in half when I was four. Absolutely. You could never imagine how that, like, you did because we used our imaginations. But, like, realistically, how could this thing ever be an efficient bounty hunter? And now we know. Yeah. And, you know, I'd read, I mean, in the EU, they talk about how the IG robots are deadly assassins and they can do all this stuff. But I guess I just never pictured it like that, like how fast it goes with the eyes spinning around. And it was great. It's like one said, of my favorite things about the whole show. I am hoping they bring an IG robot back. I for have the no season. doubt. I have no doubt they will. We'll, we'll see IG, you know, 22 or or something like that. Yeah. Um, Chad, any, any what, what are you, uh, what's the first item on your list? Um, I have a big picture question. Okay. Is Django Fett a Mandalorian? No. Are we sure? Well, we know he's not of the race Mandalorian, correct? Well, neither is, neither is our guy. Neither is Din Jaren, right? <laughs> Here's because here's my question. There are many many references to Boba Fett in this show, um, 
from uh, his uh, big uh, his his rifle from the um, uh, Christmas special from the holiday special uh, to his habit of disintegrating people. We've yeah. fine. We have finally seen what no disintegrations was about. Yep, and it was so wonderful to see. Yeah. Oh, those jaw was popping like zits. It was amazing. <laughs> but but so I, I guess I had kind of come to the grips, t- come to grips with the idea that that Django and therefore Bobo were not Mandalorians. But this is ascribing a lot of specifically Bobo's behavior and strategy to Mandalorians. I don't know. I mean, he doesn't... He's not in a clan. There's no clan markings on his armor. Yeah. Um, and I can't think of any new canon books that have said anything about it. Yeah, I'm, about just, him. I'm just wondering, because I thought they had kind of said he wasn't, and then, but this was just so much... So many yeah. Boba Fett references in it. Yeah, um, in the old EU, he was not. They were very clear he I wasn't. I doubt... Okay. What is Disney... Now and and look, I don't I don't want to uh, diminish Disney's contributions to the pop culture stuff that we love because obviously uh, most of the time they care very much about quality and about presenting interesting stories. But more than anything else, what is Disney concerned about? Credits. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Not just credits. Making people happy. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a that's a far second. But uh, for for a hundred percent credits and establishing um, future streams of revenue, Django Fett is going to be more profitable as a Mandalorian than he is as not a Mandalorian. Oh. Wait though, he takes his helmet off like fifty times. No longer a Mandalorian. What but so we, do all the Mandalorians in the show. Right, Ryan, we don't Rebels, know that's when true. that. That's a problem I have. Well, I don't know that that's a problem. Is that something that was enacted after the purge? We'll get into the helmet thing. I have a big problem with the helmet. Oh, I know you do, and we'll get. I there. do. I do. Um, oh, one thing I wanted to point out: uh, this, uh, these, these are we're now down into the notes that I made the other day when I was rewatching the show. Uh, another funny little moment is uh, the beginning of the second episode when uh, the Mandalorian and Baby Yoda are going through the canyon before they get attacked uh, by the Trandoshans. Uh, they do a shot. The little lizard creatures are running around, and they actually have a little shot of Baby Yoda licking his lips while he's looking at the little ri- <laughs> lizard creatures. <laughs> they're, they're, like, s- establishing his dietary habits. <laughs> you know... He's a bad guy. They just don't want to admit it yet. So I mentioned Trandoshans, uh, and as I went through the show, and I'm sure I missed some things, I listed elements that we have seen previously in Star Wars because that's something about this show. One of the many things that made me love it is, and one of the many things that people seem to have a problem with too, which we'll discuss in a bit, uh, that we saw a lot of familiar elements that were comfortable that made it feel like Star Wars. Uh, so I've got a little list here of things that we've seen in the movies that we see in this show. Uh, Ugnats, Trandoshans, uh, obviously Yoda's species, uh, Clatoonians, Nikto, Jawa, Twi'lek, or Twi'lek, uh, Calamari, Cabrak, Deveronian, Rodian, uh, whatever the cat thing is in Chapter 4. I think that was from Clone Wars. It's under the table when they go into the bar where they meet Cara Dune. It's got oh, the big round it. head. 
It's yeah. it's from something. Uh, Kubaz, I believe R5-D4 is in Chalman's Cantina on Tatooine. I couldn't tell if it was or not. I paused it and looked, and if they made it look that much like him, I think it's him. You know and what I, I mean? And I want to say I read somewhere, like, during the teasing of it. That oh, wait, Filoni you're right, said, you're right. Favreau put up a picture. Favreau, yeah, that was he it. Put up a, so it is. It's R5-D4 is in the cantina. I have a question. What the fuck is a droid doing in Chalm's Cantina? That's a very good question, but the droid's a bartender, so obviously... They talk about... Uh, maybe Chalm must be Chalman's dead. not around anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Under new, under new ownership. Yeah, right, right. Well, and here... B. Arthur's in charge now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now this is something that I, I meant to make a note about, and I got caught up in something else that happened. Um, at one point in the show, and I honestly can't remember if it's on Navarro or Tatooine, uh, the Mandalorian's walking around and there are a ton of Stormtrooper helmets on pikes. Yep. And we don't really have the backstory for that. It's just a cool looking set that's, excuse me, that's there. Come on, it, you know who it is. It's It had to be Tatooine because they, they actually have a presence on Navarro. It's... It's Wicket and his Ewok gang are coming who, for blood. Who have, that, that's what happened. Okay, that's why the Jawas are on Navarro. The Ewoks yeah. displaced them from Tatooine yeah. on their blood hunt for Imperials. They got a taste for Stormtrooper. Now they're chasing them around the galaxy. Yes. Oh, man, I want that show. There's only room for one one-meter-tall species on this planet. Yeah. And you're not yeah. it. Yub nub. I think, I think they're probably just the remnants of the garrison, because remember, the Imperials, I think they left a garrison on Tatooine after the New Hope. And I know this is, and this is only what five years later. So yeah, yeah. they they probably just you know they didn't fare killed, too well. killed they killed them after the Empire fell. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, that was that was the list I came up with. Did you guys uh, sort of think about familiar things, or or did the presence of familiar things bother you? Which for some reason it did some people. Um, one really small thing that caught me, like, total nerd thing, is the, I can't remember her name, the Twi'lek that's on the, one of the bounty hunters that's with them when they go to the prison ship. Yeah, yeah. She has the filed down teeth. Yes. And so that's been like, uh, or she has the sharpened teeth. Right, right. And Shan, that's been a Shan, question. Shan, like that. Is that what it is? Yeah. Um, that's something that Filoni brought back into Rebels I think in season 2 or something talking about the Twi'lek's teeth and like the ritual of filing them by certain people and all sorts of stuff so he did really good about putting little things like that all through the show well because we know Hera didn't do that right well they bring it up on Rebels at one point when they she goes somewhere and they make a mention about her teeth um, and you know why that is a big or why that got brought up have you ever heard about that mm, i don't know that i have so in the old eu a long time ago um the story was that all twileaks had sharpened teeth and that the women were mostly sex slaves and so their masters filed, filed their down teeth. their teeth i do remember that uh-huh. Was that that in, was a Lucasfilm official definition. Was that in Tales from Jabba's Palace, or was that from one of the visual guides? I can't remember. Yeah, I don't remember either, but now that you've said that, I, I 
I remember that. Yeah, that was like a whole thing. And then when Hera showed up on Rebels, people asked about it because she had you know very human teeth. So eventually, he answered it in season two. But anyway, that's just one of those random things. Uh, forgive me if I missed it, but did you mention the Kowaki and Monkey Lizard? Oh no, I didn't. Uh, yeah. I totally overlooked that one. That's uh, that's <laughs> right in the beginning of the first episode, right? Yeah, and then there's also the. Um, I mean, it's not a creature necessarily, but the Huddy's Eye, um, the security system. Yes. Um, yes. Like from Jabba's Palace, these which I, I liked it. It uh, it maybe feels like fan service, but it felt like just part of the world. You know, it's like something you could buy at Space Best Buy. Well, here's and, the. Um, Here's the issue I have with fan service being used as a derogatory term. Um, you know, it doesn't insult me when somebody does something with the intention of pleasing me. I like being serviced. Yeah, I do too. And now look, yeah. we, we all understand that it can go too far sometimes, and in the wrong hands, fan service can be a bad thing. But people seem to use that as a blanket term uh, with a negative connotation, and I don't agree with that at all. Well, I don't consider it. Fan- I, I don't. I don't either because I. To me, it's consistency, right? It's right. the world. Yes, it's building the world. It, it's yeah. It's a yeah. You get a little tickle out of it because like, oh, that's the thing from Java's Palace. But you're also like, well, yeah, that can't be the only one of those things in the entire galaxy, right? Well, or, that's, well that's and where Star Wars issues. is right now with Skywalker Saga being over, they're going to have to do that to survive and keep going. Like, if they're going to present a consistent universe without. Well, characters especially for a show that is markedly different from everything else in the way it feels right right? this is a very different way of telling a star wars story a very different look for telling a star wars story so there need to be those touchstones and and those have to be in excuse me in this sense in the um in the guise of production design well and and, that was actually characters and things like that one of the issues i had with force awakens was that there wasn't enough of that why why do we go into Maz's uh, bar, place, whatever it is, and see, like, no familiar aliens? And I understand the concept of, well, it's a huge galaxy, and why would you see the same aliens over and over again? You'd see them because you want things... You're within this world and this narrative that is familiar. It's not brand new, and we want to see a few familiar touchstone things so it feels like it is a continuation of that narrative that we've known for the past however many years. My big question is always, why blow up Hosnian Prime when you could have blown up Coruscant? We don't want to blow up Coruscant. Let's not get carried away. I would have been okay with that. If they really, if they really it, wanted it would have to made a lot me. more sense. If they really wanted me to feel it, they would have. Yeah. If you read the script link, leak, there might have been a reason. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a whole other yeah. story. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole other episode. Um, yeah. uh, I agree. I like the familiar things. I, I like the... Um, uh, I, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Because I said, I, the show feels... And we'll get into this later, but I had a problem watching the show at first. And um, part of that was the feel of it being completely different. And the things that were keeping me in it truly were those touchstones. Were that I could see a Mandalorian armor, that I could see Jawas that were, you know, even though they were presented in a way I'd never seen before. See Jawas in their uh, crawling fortress, which I absolutely love that he used that term for the Sandcrawler. I love that we got to go inside of it, too. Yes. Okay, so this is... And we got to reenact the Super Nintendo game. That's exactly the note (laughs) that I made, was that level in Super Star Wars... Was I mean it was just like everything else in the game. It was so frustrating, but 
I loved that level because we got to go inside a sand crawler, this monolithic okay. vehicle that I'd grown let me, up with. Let me, let me read you a note. It may be sadistic, but watching Jawas explode was funny. Reminded me of playing Super Star Wars. And when you <laughs> yeah. shot a Jawa, it yelled Utini when it died. <laughs> yes. Exact same thought. Oh, that's fantastic. Oh, man. And okay. now, see, now I want to know, since that connected so clearly with all three of us who did not sit down and watch this together... Uh, and have not shared this thought until now, it makes me wonder if Filoni or even Favreau, if there was maybe a touch of that in there. Oh, it's got to be. I, it it no felt way. very intentional. It yeah. really did. It really did. Um, I, I have an admission. That's kind of my favorite episode. It is one. pretty good. It's just so fucking fun and silly. Well, and we get to see... You know, he gets blasted off the top of the sand crawler, and yeah. that brings me to one of the things that I really like about the character Din, Din Djarin is uh, one of the conversations I had after the first episode with somebody was they were disappointed because he just got beat up the whole time. Uh, to me, that saved the show. Because yeah. if he was this unstoppable super badass, the, where do we go from there? Like, you don't start a video game with all your powers. You, you build your interest and your relation to a protagonist in a video game by building them up over the course of the story, and it's the same way with this. I don't want him to be able to handle everything that comes along. I don't want him to do everything perfectly. I don't want him to have all the answers. I want him to fuck up. I want him, like, I want him to be a badass, but I don't want him to be invincible. And I loved that he's not good at fighting animals. Like... <laughs> <laughs> that's literally a feat. Like he can handle uh, humanoids fairly well, but he has bad times fighting animals. Well, how much practice of that do you actually get? Right, exactly. And I was thinking about that. I was uh, I was watching it this second time through. Like, take an MMA guy and he'll beat up a bar full of people, but put him in the woods against a bear. What's going to happen to him? You There's a show a on the Discovery Channel now about that. Uh, that doesn't surprise me a bit. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah. it was, uh, but no, I, I agree. I mean, it's the appeal of uh, the of Casino Royale, right? The first Daniel Craig Bond was that he didn't, he wasn't yes. 100% knew what he was doing. He got beat up a lot. He fucked up a lot. He made yes. mistakes. Yeah. And that was very, uh, you, you need your character to be human, <laughs> you know, and, and you're right, if they are, perfect then there's no challenges presented in front of them and no challenges no drama uh, at all okay i want to throw um a line out there that i wrote down uh in watching uh this came from quill uh nick nolte's character and the first time around it sounds like just something he's sort of saying offhandedly uh, as he parts ways with the mandalorian and the child uh but the second time through having seen the entire series this, to me, was the most resonant line in the whole show. Uh, he tells him, Good luck with your child. May it survive and bring you a handsome reward. Yeah. And, wow, in the greater context of the show, what a what a powerful piece of writing that is. Because that's what the show is about. Right. No, that's true. Yeah. No, that's absolutely true. Yeah, I noticed that the second time. I've watched it twice, two and a half times now, I think. Um, 
but yeah, no, that uh, Quill is a as a Quill's a cool character. Was a cool character. I guess. He yeah he that upset me. Did yeah. that impact you guys? Because we're so used to to characters dying and being killed for dramatic effect. Um, but this one, Star got Wars me. doesn't do it that often. Right, right. Yeah. Well, and especially this where we had seen the characters scrape by and make it so many times, it felt more like a traditional, like it felt like the A team, and like Hannibal doesn't die on the A team. Right, and that's sort of the, in a certain way, the tone that they'd established. So when he did die, it had impact, and it didn't feel like, you know, one of those tug at your heartstrings, oh, look how real everything is deaths. It felt like this this shit happens, and right, and we, I think they filmed it really well, or the way they filmed it, I guess, but the way they handled the scene showed that really well. Where well it, it felt was like just... a one-two punch. Because for a yeah. second you think he got away. Yep. And we don't see the heroic death or anything, which I really like. Yeah. like but I know. also think it places it firmly into the era of modern TV. Right? Also, this is not just Star Wars property. This is a modern television show, a streaming television show. Yes. And so it's going by models such as Game of Thrones and things like that. So, you know, it's it's maybe that's a little, that's informing it a little more. Um, Absolutely. And they're trying to tell a, a dramatic show that's going to keep people coming back that, you know, maybe you don't care about Star Wars, but you like the show. So. Uh, let's see. What What else have you guys got? I have a grievance uh, or two, but <laughs> please, please, general grievance. Um, let's see, general grievance. Uh, well, okay, let's get into it. Um, I don't like that he doesn't take off his helmet. Um, and let me explain quickly. One, uh, that's not something that's been established before, and I, I take your point that it could be something that's been established since. But we have seen a lot of Mandalorians that Dave Filoni has written take off their helmets quite a bit. Um. Two, I don't know why they hired Pedro Pascal. They should have just hired a stuntman and a voice double, and if, or a voice actor. And if you listen to Bryce Dallas Howard, who said she did not direct Pedro Pascal when she shot her episode, it's kind of what they've done. I, she, yeah, I'm saying, I, real quick, real quick. I thought they had read that they had said he was in it all the time. He may be, but it doesn't matter to me. Yeah. Uh, it, uh, here's my problem, is that um, I don't feel, at least the first time through, and I liked it more the second time through, I felt less, con- I didn't feel very connected to the character. He is a mask, and he talks like a stormtrooper. He has very little affect to his voice. Um, and the problem is that they were holding out for a reveal of a character, of an actor, that I already knew he was playing the part. I had to wait. I'm waiting eight episodes, and when they finally show me his face, I'm like, yeah, there he is. That's a guy. I, I knew who he was. He walked the red carpet for the series premiere. I felt they made such a big deal of it, and what they could have done, in my opinion, is when he finds the child at the end of the first episode, since he's killed IG-88, or IG-22, sorry, he could have taken off his mask to, like, not scare the child, shown us his face, and then I would have had something to latch onto. Um, I would have had a human moment because I just felt so cold the first time through until the end of the season because I just I was enjoying what I was watching but I wasn't feeling much and it was because uh, I just he wasn't a character to me he was a suit and it felt 
very strange to hire this actor. He's not like a giant star, but to hire this actor to show his face for 15 seconds. Um, and I don't think there was anything notable about his physical performance. He's just doing stuff. I don't know. I, I don't. I found it to be very distracting as the show went on, knowing that they were leading up to a moment where they were going to reveal it. And when they revealed it, they didn't reveal anything but a guy's face. There wasn't anything. There was no new information given in that moment. He other was, than what his he face was, looked like. He was not actually a Gungan. Right. Exactly. He was not a Gungan, <laughs> but there was nothing revealed in that moment that was new information. And so yeah. we held out all this time to see his face. And it's supposed to be this big moment. And to me, it was just like, yeah, it's just a guy. Even if I didn't know who Pedro Pascal was, it was just a guy. So I, I do have a problem with that. We're past that now, at least. Um, I felt it's a little too much. But. Now, I wonder if in the long term, I mean, knowing it's a TV show, I'm guessing they assumed they were going to get several seasons if they're kind of planning ahead, and that's why they've hired him, um, because he will eventually take the mask off more and more. Um, who was I talking to? I might have been talking to Jay about it. We were talking how awesome it would have been if when they had taken the mask off, instead of being pascal if it had been morrison instead and they had like tricked <laughs> everybody the whole time yeah oh, oh no. i would have I loved that i would have popped huge for that yeah it was to Marin. he turns out he's a clone it's another clone <laughs> i um it would have angered so many people but i would have loved it <laughs> chad i i 100 understand what you're saying um yep. but for me i found the the mystery compelling i as as a big fan of and i understand we saw his face but like as a big fan of the old spaghetti westerns with clint eastwood uh and that sort of distant cold character that you spend the whole movie trying to figure out um i i dug it i liked it i liked that we didn't see really anything about him i liked the mystery and this is coming from a guy who i love boba fett there's literally nothing to that character but a cool suit, but right. I love it. Well, until well, you until you start reading the old books that don't count anymore. But um, I just I, I I liked it. I liked the who is this guy? When are we going to find out who he is? And and they gave you know we still don't really know him, but they gave the bits and pieces of his past away as it went along. And we saw him as a kid, so we know he's not a gungan. We know he's a human, but like. Yeah. As he speaks more and more as the show goes on, we get to learn about his character and his personality uh, bit by bit. And to me, it was almost like... It almost made me pay attention more Mm -hmm. that we didn't have a human face with its expressiveness and its eyes and its mouth and its everything. And that we had to... You almost had to work... not work harder, be more engaged to get anything from this character. Well, and I wonder if part of it too, story-wise, is as an audience, we're not really meant to emotionally connect to him too much yet. Because before he finds the child, he's, you know, asshole bounty hunter who has no feelings and no connections to anyone and then as the series goes on and he's with the child and changes or whatever if we'll maybe get his mask off and then you're starting to have that emotional connection with him yeah i I think i think there was a very deliberate purpose to the way they did it and it was not to irritate chad and and (laughs) all of those all those are fair points i just think that for me personally it just it 
it didn't make me pay attention more. It made me pay attention less. It made me think that the only thing that mattered were just what he was shooting or what he was doing. Yeah. And and so I could zone out more. I guess the second time through, I cared more, but that's because I knew the totality of the story and I wasn't caring about the plot anymore. Right, right. And so I did pick up a little more on that stuff. But I, I don't know. I, I felt you talk about his past. In, in the fourth episode, there's a moment where he... We talk about him being all secretive and shit, but in the fourth episode, he tells his entire life story to a woman he just met. Well, I don't think it's necessarily that he's secretive because this show is about watching a slice of galactic life. Right. Right. So it's not so much that he's concealing things as that the longer we spend time with him, things are revealed. You know what I'm saying? Like, you no, know, I understand. Yeah, I understand. You you yeah. meet a new person and they're not keeping secrets. You just don't know everything about them yet. No, but there's at least a spark of personality, and I didn't. That was my problem. I, I wanted some personality coming from him. I wanted the actor that they hired to bring some personality to the character, and I just wasn't feeling that. And yes, by the end of the series, I did like him more, and I did care more, and it had nothing to do with seeing his face. So that's fair, and that's, that's true. It hurt me in the early episodes. Or I just I, could not connect. I, that makes sense. Just couldn't connect. You know, there were a scene here there that kind of reminded me of Raimi's Green Goblin, like where you just can't see the face and you're talking for an extended time. But it, it, I don't think it was as bad as it could have been. Speaking of which, let's get Willem Dafoe on this show, please. <laughs> Great. Uh, one more random note I've got: Wilro Hood's ice cream maker is a safe, which totally makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> that's it that's all i got okay all right of course he's trying to escape with it yep and you know it within the next year i'm sure in some book they're gonna write what was in that safe on bespin yes it was like the plans for something or something important that he was smuggling out that'd be great if it was literally just ice cream but like really fancy gourmet ice cream like uh, lando's personal ice cream stash that's so like exotic they have to keep it in a safe <laughs> he's saving it for the 45 year celebration <laughs> oh another uh another familiar element the interrogation droid yes uh-huh i was the atst did you mention atst yeah, that's oh, what i was not yet but i've i've oh, okay. uh, i've got that note a little further down oh, okay okay uh but but yeah that i mean the atst which is uh, you know, the internet likes to have fun with things, and I understand that, but you can't compare the ATSTs on Endor to this ATST and the people that were fighting those things. Because we're talking no, be- about hundreds of Ewoks with gigantic trees at their disposal and rebel commandos versus 20 farmers, two mercenaries, and a bunch of spindly pine trees that nobody could make any weapons out of. And I noticed that the second time through, that that whole forest, all the trees are very thin. Like, you couldn't do anything with those. You couldn't make these giant battering rams that the Ewoks made. Well, I also, like, I mean, in Return of the Jedi, it's really light out. And, you know, ATSTs are kind of silly looking. They just are. But at night, with that thing lit up red... That thing is frightening. <laughs> That's my question. Why were its fucking eyes red? Uh, because uh, the, this, you guys, I'm sorry if this goes over your head. Uh, okay. Clearly, the fiend was having a match inside the <laughs> cockpit. That's what I, I was like. Are we supposed to think this thing is alive? Because we don't see any drivers. 
I think, well, we know that this ATST somehow had been commandeered, stolen, whatever, by these Clatoonian raiders. So they pimped it out with with red lights? Yeah, well, they want to make it look scary. So sure, why yeah, not? that's true. I guess why? I would have liked to have seen a driver. <laughs> Maybe all the Imperial ships have red lights on in the inside at night. We don't know. We've never seen it. That's yeah, a good that's point. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it, it was very cool and it looked fantastic. Yeah, it really did. Uh, you know, I, I somewhat doubted their plan there where they were getting real close and just trying to get to step in the uh, pond or whatever. Um, oh, I mean, I was ahead of them. I was like, just shoot them. Yeah. Which, by the way, like, that was, I think, 100% an homage to Ed 209 and Robocop. <laughs> the way that it sort of lifts its foot up and tentatively you know, feels out and then draws back. The exact same shot, motion, yeah. everything. Well, all right, so there's another question, too. If there's a driver up in that thing, what was he like? Was he, like, feeling it out? Can he feel the leg at the bottom? Like, <laughs> like a fucking Pacific Rim thing? <laughs> yeah. Is there, like, part of the ATST driving test is, like, feeling things out gently with your ATST? Sure, why not? <laughs> yeah, it, just, it just felt a little more alive than I was comfortable with. Um but it, it was fine, but it just felt a little bit... I don't, I don't know, like I said, I would like to have seen that it was being operated by sentient beings, yeah, and not it, that it was a giant monster in the middle of the night. Like it, was it was a little odd. Well, I guess it wasn't odd, though, because he just straight up throws a grenade in there and blows it up. So, or, excuse me, a thermal <laughs> detonator. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's true. That's true. So, uh, another line I liked from that episode, Cara Dune, uh, Rebel Shock Trooper, makes mention that after the Battle of Endor, she was mopping up Imperial warlords. And I love that because as we all know, as well as we all know, uh, a large portion of the expanded universe after Return of the Jedi was about Imperial warlords. So I thought that was a nice little nod to uh, what what we, we all know was more likely the case than everybody just singing and dancing for eternity. Right. And I really like part of her character, too, is that idea that she understands how to be a rebel, but then what do you do when you are the government? You know, which they've right. done a really good job with, like, Han in the extended universe kind of has that same thing. Like, what happens when you're legit now? Yeah. And it wasn't for her. Yep. Uh, let's see, Ryan, have you got anything else uh, you want to bring up? I mean, do we want to talk about the big stuff? <laughs> we can talk about whatever um, you guys want to talk about. We've got and by that you mean the real little stuff. We, we've got. <laughs> I mean, I guess it's yeah. yeah. We've got approximately uh, uh, about twenty minutes left. Let's go ahead and get the uh, old uh, Grandma Gideon. Yes, yeah, we got to talk about Giancarlo Esposito oh, and the child. Yeah. That man is magic. Um, Gus yep. Fring himself. Yeah, showing up in a new kind of Tie Fighter that lands where you can actually get out of it. That's great. <laughs> Good job, Empire. <laughs> um, so, what do we think about him? I mean, we know he was a ISB agent, um, which makes sense. He's adopted that moth. He's not a moth, so he's part of that. I know if, if you've read the new books, a lot of what they talk about is after Return of the Jedi. You know, everybody started declaring themselves. Graham off this and moff that so he appears to be one of them yeah. um but has a decent size army with him which you know i guess he didn't go with sloan and the rest of them after aftermath um but i like the character um well and he clearly had something to do with the purge 
Right, and so what some people think is, is he or was he a Mandalorian? Um, I don't know. What you want to know is how did he get the fucking Darksaber. That's what you want to know, right? Oh, yeah, that's 100% what we all want to know. We're saving that for the best part. Oh, sorry. Darksaber. Sorry. So, yeah, that's the question, though. How did he get the Darksaber? You know, why, why does he want it? I'm betting he's a Mandalorian. Or he I, was. Yeah. I'm going to say he was not a Mandalorian. Uh, I'm going to say he was instrumental in the Great Purge and that he has that as kind of a spoils of war kind of thing. Yeah, who's the last person we saw with it, Ryan? Um, what's Satine her name? Si- Satine's sister? Satine's sister, Duchess, whatever. Right. Yeah, she's yeah. got it, so... Not anymore. Right. Right. Um, I mean, yeah, okay. And that was during Rebels era, right? Yeah, that's during Rebels. Which, okay. so it makes me kind of think he might have been one of the Mandos on the other side, whose name I can't remember right now. Who were the, the ones Death Watch. That, yeah, like that he might have been a Death Watch. Which, by the way, how fucking crazy was it seeing the Death Watch in live action? That was awesome. That <laughs> blew my mind. Like, those... To, as a huge fan of Mandalorians in the expanded universe, uh, the scene from uh, second episode, third episode, where all the Mandalorians come out. Third episode. Third episode. Yeah. The all city. the Mandalorians show up to save the day. Including a Vizsla. Crazy, yes. Including a legit Vizsla. Yeah. Um, that, to me, that gave me the feeling that I was so angry the marketing for Iron Man 3 took away from me. <laughs> Where all of the armors showing up yeah. should have been so mind-blowing and they showed it in the fucking trailer. This time, they kept a secret and we saw it and it was awesome and then I would say equally as geek out, big time moment was the Death Watch. Just boom, there they are. Like, holy shit. I can't believe And they're all like it's what they look like. Like there's no, they didn't take any liberties for live action. They didn't change. That's no. that's it. And the super battle droids were scary for like the first time ever. Yes, that's what I say. It's another example of like some just being horrifying that was kind of played as a joke in the movies. Well, and his dislike of droids that carries throughout the series uh, that I really liked a lot. He's a droid racist. <laughs> Looking at you, cadaver. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Um, Guarantee you that's his favorite. That's his favorite part of the show. <laughs> really identifies with that. Yeah. Uh, we also got to see the Imperial troop transport in live action for the first time. Now we had seen it on Rebels, uh, and they even released a, a criminally undersized toy of it uh, that's not worth your time to track down. But supposedly there is a vintage collection uh, troop transport coming sometime this year. Uh, but it was really cool seeing that and seeing how it operated live. Um. Yeah. Yeah, that was neat. Um, yeah, I, I mean, listen, you had me at Giancarlo Esposito, right? I mean, right. Yeah. It, you know, and I saw in the trailer where he saw him in the outfit. I was like, fuck yes, that's all I, that's all I want. Well, and and they made you wait for it too, which I actually liked. They did because they, they had did. they had enough to do without throwing him in there from the beginning. I, and another example of things that the Mandalorian has made more scary are flame troopers. I feel like in previous movies and even other movies, when you see a flame trooper, you know you just see him kind of randomly shoot a few bursts of flames, maybe burn a tree down. Like watching him burn that bar to pieces 
and he was going to burn them alive made them a lot scarier. I don't know. If you've played Jedi Fallen Order, you kind of hate flame troopers. So I do hate them. God. <laughs> I already had a had a grudge against those fuckers. I've only played the intro. I haven't gotten into it yet. It's, so uh, where do y'all think? Where do they go with the dark saber? Who fucking knows? I saw at least two or three articles online of what's up with Gideon's weird sword for, you know, for people. <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> Do you and, have about an hour for me to talk to you about it? Yeah, I was like, I'll refer to you to somewhere. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, obviously, with Filo- even though Favreau's, you know, the credited writer on most episodes, it it still feels very felony. Right. And the obsession with Mandalorians is very felony. The Beskar and. Well, it, it just it's all very felony. So I mean he's he's probably got a plan. I mean, Clone Wars is coming back to tell a story about what? Mandalore, right? Right. I mean it's right. it's it's definitely it, it's clearly Felony's favorite society and favorite storyline that he's been been able to tell. And he's be, by the way, is the primary teller of it. Yeah. So here's a question I have also. You know, he announced I guess was it last week or the week before when they kind of announced the date what it was also announced was that previous canon characters would be on it. Fav- fan favorite characters. I am wondering if they're going to bring Sabine Wren in. I want to see that so bad, and yet I don't. Uh, I know. I just... Like, would... I would love a live-action Ahsoka Tano, but I'm also terrified of it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm with you on that. I it would mean, be so cool if it was done right. She's Filoni's favorite. Yeah, she is. The Darksaber's there. Like, you know, the story of the Darksaber is basically hers. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I go, we'll see. Yeah. I, I go back and forth about it. I mean, but, I think that yeah. moment's designed to be a big what the fuck for most people and a big what the fuck for us. Right, right. <laughs> like, too, you know, where it's, it's two, two completely, completely different, reasons. different kinds of what the fuck for different yeah. kinds of people. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think Ryan messaged me like within five seconds of finishing the episode. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, I haven't watched it yet, and you're like, I fuck it, I don't uh, what. <laughs> I was like, okay, all right, I'll, I'll go watch it. I'll go watch well, it. I will say it was really awesome. So Pete, who's a friend of all of ours, is watching Rebels for the first time right now, and had finished the Dark Saber episodes that afternoon before it oh, came out. Oh, wow, <laughs> nice. So, like, he's, like, calling me and be like, oh, my God, I know what that is. Like, <laughs> yeah, good thing you watched it. <laughs> uh, you know, another, speaking of uh, sort of legacy characters, I guess at this point, Legends characters, uh, when Mark Boone Jr. showed up in Episode 6 as Ran, I was so hoping that was going to be Booster Tarek. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I, I love that character so much, and granted, he brings a lot of baggage with him, but it would just been a nice little nod. I'd like to bring... Uh, we, oh, no, they killed him off. I said we could bring Brian Posehn back, but he uh, he got eaten. <laughs> yeah, we're not going to see Take that again. It. Yeah, that was kind of funny. Um, so before we go, we got to talk about we got to talk about the child. Yeah, we got to talk about Baby Yoda. Yeah. The Yoda baby. Um, so what do we think? Like, what was your first thought when you saw it? My first thought was, look at him! I'm not going to lie. That's exactly what my thought was. Yeah. Mine was more of a holy shit. Yeah, Um, that's what mine was. Like, we're going to do this. Like, we're going to, you know, we're going to... Because, you know, as we know, before this, in canon, 
we have in, in, in the new canon, we have what? We have um, Yaddle and Yaddle. And Yaddle. We, uh, we only know of five other species in the old EU. And until now, the only non-Yoda Yoda in canon was Yaddle. Yeah. And, and Yaddle, what I found mm-hmm. out the other day, was a puppet that they built to be a younger Yoda that just didn't work out, so they threw a wig on it and made Yaddle. Unlike the Yoda puppet that they used to make it look younger and didn't work out? <laughs> right, that was a different puppet that didn't work a, out. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, so that's the only other one. First, I don't, I don't even know that my brain fully recognized that it was a Yoda at first. Really? Just oh. because it was like it was so cute, and I was just like, "What is this cute little thing?" And then it took me like a split second. It was just like last uh, uh, last night watching Crisis. Uh, spoilers, you guys. It took me a second to even realize that was Ezra Miller. <laughs> like I was right. like, "Whoa, what is this other Flash? That's cool." And then my brain was like, "Hey, dum dum, that's the movie Flash. What the fuck?" Like it was. It was kind of a similar thing where. Like I got this this jolt of oh that's neat and then my brain kind of caught up and explained to me what was going on. To me, one of the biggest mysteries is, as a you know as a as a Star Wars history nerd um, has been Yoda's origin. What is his species? Where are the rest of his people? I've, are there other of his people? That's been a question that's been in my mind for a long time. I've never cared at all. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I wasn't well, sure if I'd ever find out or cared to. It was just a question. Sure, because sure. They specifically never named his race. Right? Yeah. He is the Yoda. It's called. If you go on, uh, you go on Wikipedia. It is Yoda species still to this day. Yeah. Um, the only other one that had a big effect besides Yaddle was Minch, who was the one that uh, killed the Dark Jedi on Dagobah. I think. Oh, back yeah, yeah, yeah. In the, the, in the cave back in the. They year. made the spot. Yeah. And there was one in I think the old Republic video game. Uh, but I was psyched because I was like, you know, and then at the end of the series, when we find out that he's going to go try to take him back, take it, sorry, take it back. Right. 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 Like to find its people that, that got me. So that's, that's actually what not saved the season. Like I said, I was having some problems with it, but that got me really hyped at the end and made me. And then when I went back to watch it again, uh, for the podcast, it, gave me a new purpose to drive towards in a way like i was like oh this is the story we're telling right well it like gave it, the whole show a new purpose because yeah it could have very easily just been well he's going to keep being a bounty hunter and yeah. have this little guy with him and that's the story and even if he doesn't find the home of 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 these people these beings it's still the quest will be fascinating to me um and and learning something about i mean are they all force sensitive you know Although the math works out where he could be Yoda and Yaddle's kid, which I absolutely don't want. <laughs> I'm just saying the math probably works out. Well, and the door is open that he's a clone. I yeah. mean, the scientist that looks at him for the Imperials, they very clearly showed that he has a Camino patch on. Like, he's a oh, cloner. Oh, did they? Okay. Yeah, oh, yeah. If you look on his on the okay. side, he's wearing a Camino patch. Um, that, so either they, it's a clone or they want to clone it. Right. right. And so, yeah, it's unclear what he's doing. He's looking at it real close and scanning it. So, yeah, is he checking it out to see if it's an exact duplicate, or is he going to try to make new ones? Here's a moment I didn't understand in either viewing, and maybe you guys took it in a different way or can explain it a little bit to me. So, um, Moff Gideon, when he's having his sort of standoff with 
every, with our heroes right. says, you don't understand what that means to me or the lengths I'll go to get it. Something along those lines. Yeah. And then he sends his flame trooper in to set it on fire. <laughs> I don't know that that was logically consistent. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, no, you're not, you're not. You're not wrong. I mean, I again, this part of the mystery we're going to learn, which is why Gideon couldn't die, was why do they want this thing? Obviously, it's powerful. Right. But how do they know it's powerful? Here's a question I have real fast. When when do I don't get the tracking fob thing. I don't either. I st- it doesn't make a bit of fucking sense. Like, when do you tag the... Oh, I'm an international criminal. Let me stop and tag you so that in case you do something, all the bounty hunters can come find you. How do these fobs tell you where anyone is in the galaxy? It seems such a cheat. It seems so video game. Yeah. Well, and there was a lot video gamey about this. I mean, yeah. he's literally leveling up his armor. Um, yeah. He, he puts together his his party uh like i said before even as a yeah. character like it and, yeah. and to me that's not necessarily bad though it's it's building an episodic storyline they were just very mushy on the fobs and the tracking they just kind of have it as a thing and you're just supposed to go with it and okay but they they, they knew that they were mushy but they had to have a way for him to find things and and like that's they, okay because honestly yeah. Uh, you know, Star Wars kind of does a lot of that. It does. Here's it does. this thing that's name exactly describes the convenient thing that it does. It just has so many moments of like, you know, oh, all the trackers just went off because the baby's on the move, and you're like, you didn't take the fucking tracker off the baby. What is it? What yeah, is it tracking? Right. right. I don't understand. Um, but is anyway, it tracking the pod, maybe. Is it tracking the? No, because then they get every time they get a bounty, they get this little tracker thing. It well, looks yeah, like. you're right. You're right. You know, and I don't. How is that happening? How does Ming-Na have a tracker on her? Does she? How does he find her? Okay, yeah, okay. I've got a question about that. So in her episode, I don't quite understand... Probably my least favorite. ...what happens. Well, that's Filoni's episode. I know, I know, um, but I didn't love it. And, and I, I liked it more the second time, but it's still, to me, the one you could throw away. Yeah. Uh, so we have her character, who's this mercenary who gets shot by Jake Cannavale's character, who is a Corellian. Right. But then at the end, he gets thrown out in the desert by the pit droids in Beggar's Canyon. Right. And somebody walks up with spurs and a long coat and seeming very much like Cad Bane to me. Oh, that's right. We never got paid off who the mysterious person was, did we? Well, no. there are a few things that were never explained that I'm I'm okay with. Right. That didn't get explained because somebody said, oh, well, she's alive and that was her, but that wasn't what she was wearing. No. And I didn't notice that she had spurs. Well, and they very purposely shoot it to be a mystery. You're not supposed to know Right, it right. And then the other thing that's never answered that I God, think It could is, be Cad Bane. I didn't think about that. I'd be. be phenomenal. I would love it. And he would be something that I, I would be a little more okay with being translated to live action yeah. than a, 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 a huge... It's going to be easier to translate a, a, an alien in a weird way because we yeah. don't necessarily have expectations of what he's supposed to look like in real life. Yeah. Whereas with the human characters, um, tough. Yeah. they really need to look a certain way. 
Um, another thing, though, that, that was kind of left out in the open, who the fuck were the people that had Baby Yoda at the beginning? I, I still where did they get him? I still don't understand the plot of the pilot. <laughs> where where did they get him? Why did they have him? Why had they just been on this planet hanging out with him for apparently quite some time? Why does everybody know about it? And see, that's why that's what makes me think it's a clone. Yeah. That there was a clone. That's how the Imperials know about it. It got stolen, basically. And that's what starts all of it. And the Empire wants it back. And, and I think they'll tell this story. They're not going to leave us hanging oh, yeah. on this stuff. No, they will. They will. I was a little frustrated. I, I guess I thought when I first saw it, like, oh, that must be Giancarlo Esposito. Or something like that. Like, we were leading up to someone we were going to see later in the season. And then, like, at the end of the season, I was like, oh, we never did see that person. They never made that connection. Yeah. Um, so, I don't know. Cat Bane would be awesome. But, yeah, I there are obviously big questions, and, and they're intentional. They they, they are. Um, yes, yes. But I, I – and I'm anxious to hear them. <laughs> but uh, the, the clone thing, yeah, I mean, that's better than – that's better than it being him or a child or something. You know, I mean – that I, I still, as much as I love the child, and it, it is funny and cute, and uh, the sipping the soup thing will be a, a gift forever, um, and uh, and things like that. I'm still a little reluctant. Like I just, I want to know what it is. I want to know where it's going. I'm still a little reluctant about it. I'm uh, not reluctant a, at all. Yeah, but um, well, no, there is no but. I just, well, I, I have embraced <laughs> it. I love it. I do think it's funny. I think it was I messaged you, Chad, after the first episode and said how funny would it be if this show is just a Mandalorian and the baby being in like wacky out of fish out of water dad adventure. Yeah, I mean And it turns out that is what the show is going to be about. I mean, let's be fair, it's 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 Lone Wolf and Cub, right? I mean, yeah, that's yeah. what we're telling us. We're doing Lone Wolf and Cub. Um, except except that Cub is a mystery. Yeah. Yes. Well Lone Wolf kind of is too. Um uh, but yeah, no, we're, we're doing. We're it's a very traditional, effective story that we're going to tell. I think we're going to get a lot more of that father-child relationship as we go forward. Um, I, I'm looking forward to more misuse of force powers. I hope they like keep up with that. <laughs> yeah, like, that was very yeah. interesting. Oh, when he choked her, yeah, somebody. Yeah, I thought that was awesome. I was like, yeah, he's. A, my, I I have two kids. We all have kids. They're fucking psychopaths. Like. Yeah. <laughs> Like up to a certain point, they they literally are sociopaths. If my kid could choke me out when she wants a cookie, and then so it made me think too. Like going back to everybody points out, oh, it's so wrong of the Jedi to go around and take babies from their parents when they were little kids. Well, this is why. <laughs> like, right, you're a menace. <laughs> right, you don't want a kid growing up with that kind of power, and you know, and their mom won't, uh, you know, buy them a toy. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I thought that moment was very striking because he uses it obviously to to save Jin and he uses it to heal people, you know. Um seemingly just knows how to do that without training unless the people that were with him were training him. Uh we don't know. Uh the people that were t- keeping hold of him were training him. Or unless but, that's an aspect of you know the Yoda species they're just they, natural. they have a more yeah, like he he recognizes this wound, and he wants it to be better. So it is. It doesn't require focus. It's like a raw force power. It's not directed. It's just there. It's like if I if I could think, you know, oh, I don't want to reach over there and grab the remote, and the remote just came to me. 
Now, Dave, I think you'll appreciate this too, though. We have seen another alien who instinctively uses special powers to heal. If you're you're bringing up E.T., I'm going to drive to Alabama and punch you in the face right now. That would be the Jedi E.T. Damn it. You're fired. Even though though E.T.'s are canon in Star Wars. uh Uh-huh. Lifts that bike up into the air. He displays all the Force powers. Gross. Here's the problem with that, and I, I think you're right, but he consciously does it. He multiple t- multiple times early on tries to heal Jin when they're by the campfire, mm-hmm. and Jin ke- when he's wounded, and Jin puts him back in the thing. It's a very funny scene. I, I don't know. He's trying to heal him there. That's well, what it feels is, like to me. Yeah. Oh, he's 100 percent trying to heal him, but I think it's it's just like I don't know that he necessarily is aware of the power he has. But I think like a right. baby. Like if if a baby is is cogn or not a baby a toddler he's a toddler is uh, he is toddler Yoda that's actually the biggest problem with baby Yoda (laughs) is he's not a baby he's a toddler Uh, he's he's walking babies don't walk um but uh, you know if a toddler sees that you're hurt they come over they want to make you feel better I don't think they necessarily think they're going to fix it but they want to right. Like I, I he think closes his eyes. He does the thing with his hand. Like he, he's trying to draw upon the force when he's sitting there. And it's kind of a bit because he he does it and then he's like, "What are you doing here?" And he picks up, and puts him down, and then he comes back over and does it again. And he, he's he's doing his force thing. He's yeah, and he thing. is when when he uh, when he lifts the mud horn up and saves Den. Uh, yeah, you're right. It is it is more conscious than I'm giving him credit for. It's very very Yoda y, yeah. you know, the hand motion and everything. Yeah, so. he you're right. He knows what he's doing. I just hope this isn't like a search for Spock version of Yoda or something. You know? I, I would hope not. But at the you same know? time, if it is, I have faith in them to make it a good story. They're like still they're like, Man, why'd they kill him off? In fucking 1983, we could have used him. Yeah. Well, maybe that's what we don't know. Maybe when you disappear into the Force, you go into a baby body. Oh, we're going to meet so... baby Obi-Wan and yeah. get baby Luke back? That's going to be Filoni's new animated show, Star, Star Wars, Wars Babies. Star Wars Babies. <laughs> I'm here for it. Let's here make go. it happen. Oh, God. As long as, as, long as Skeeter's on it, I'm good. <laughs> Where is Skeeter? <laughs> Where is Skeeter? I just want to know yeah, they never a talk really about her. Good question. What happened to her? They never talk about her. Yeah, never. that's dark. Something happened, man. Something happened. Pennywise got something happened. I don't know. <laughs> Yikes. Just saying where's Skeeter? Scooter never mentions her. Alright, so uh how do we how do we close this thing out? Did we overlook anything? Were there any points that you guys wanted to bring up before we wrap this thing up? Mm. I, I think we've jumped around a fair amount. I think yeah. we've hit yeah. on all the, yeah, that's the well, big things. Uh, we got to mention Clancy Brown as a Deveronian. Absolutely yes. awesome. And we learned that Deveronians are fireproof. Yeah. <laughs> yep. But yep. not necessarily um, doorproof. I do think – I think we've talked about this on the podcast before. But, I mean, I think it is a really a testament to how much they believed in it and how much trust they gave Favreau in them of how much they allowed them to keep secret. Like oh, keeping insane. Baby Yoda secret, keeping all the merch secret, secret and out of the hands, like that's impressive for Disney. That um, well, the, no, D- Disney Lucasfilm has been pretty secretive about a lot of Star Wars merchandise. I think a lot more so than they need to be. But with this specifically, 
um, it was reported that they had say on when Favreau and Filoni had say on when things were revealed, which is why the Baby Yoda stuff's not coming out for another month or so, uh, that they didn't want the public to see it. Uh, and that's why, oddly enough, that heavy Mandalorian gunner wasn't revealed until he showed up on the show. That was awesome. That um, night. And I will say for the listeners, I don't know what day this is going up, but today is what? Wednesday the 2015th? Um, cases of carbonized Mandalorians have started showing up in targets this morning. So, hit your local target. Yeah, you can find the Black Series Carbonized Mandalorian. And I want to give a shout-out to a friend of the show, Steve, who has turned out to be the Mandalorian Whisperer, because uh, he found he found me a, uh, a well, Din? What the heck is his name? It's not a great name, I'll be honest. Jin, Jin Darren? Din Jarin. Din Jarin, yeah. Um, uh, he found one for me, and he, this, today... Uh, found me a carbonized Mandalorian. So yeah, they sent him out this morning. I still oh, have that's them. awesome. I, I there is something about the name Din. I'm hearing people yelling it in like you know passion or horror. It feels doesn't. It sounds kind of dumb. It's uh, but it's it's Star Wars. It's not only is it Star Warsy. It's also Marvel Comicsy because it's got that alliterative quality. <laughs> that's true. It does. Oh. It does have that. Um, all I'll say to, to for me to sign off is that I. I didn't like the show as much as you guys did. Um, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I've come around to it more on the second viewing. Um, but I do have some problems with it, and I don't think it was a perfect season of television by any means. Um, but I'm very much looking forward to But for their first go, and I'm someone who's been clamoring for a Star Wars live-action show for 20 years, for their first go, I think they did a pretty good job. Um, and uh, I can only imagine it gets better and. uh Bring on season two and bring on Cassie and Andor. I'm very oh I, that I want, yes yeah. I want to see that show because you know I know at the very least I'll care about him <laughs> from the beginning and he won't be behind a helmet the whole time. Uh, and don't mean to harp on that. It just it feels like such an artificially created thing for the show that it, it I don't know it 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 set me off. But uh, I, I I did enjoy it. I'm a little colder on it than some people, but I'm still really digging it. So. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm not going to call it a perfect season of television, but I am going to call it a much more successful and interesting first season than I, I'm not going to say expected. Uh, it, it was different from what I thought it would be. That's it, true. It yeah. was more compelling than I thought it had the potential to be. Like, I was ready to be let down. Uh, yeah. I, I was ready... To be like, huh, well, I guess Star Wars is on TV really isn't, you know, this isn't going to be the thing. Uh, but but I thoroughly enjoyed it. There were a couple things that didn't land for me. I, I absolutely hated that uh, scene in the last episode with the Biker Scouts. Um, the the tone it was that that whimsical tone, especially considering. If you watch the episodes back to back, once again you have uh, goofy, jokey jokes, completely taking the power out of an incredibly dramatic scene. Yeah, and yeah, and, I think that scene is on its own really funny. On its own, it's really funny. Yeah. Make a show about those guys <laughs> that has its own tone that is separate. I'll watch it and I'll enjoy it. 
Do you, do you remember that old fan film, Troops? I've got it. Yep. It was a copy. Of, it was cops. Yeah, it reminded it's, me of that a little uh, bit. It's, uh, I got at Dragon Con many yeah. years ago. I got a VHS that has uh, Troops and Hardware Wars on it. When they go to when they go to Owen and Ben's to settle a domestic dispute, <laughs> yes, and end up torching them. Yeah, yeah. I would watch a troops show, and, and Ta- yeah. Taika Waititi can do it all day long. Yeah. That's fine. Yep. He can even, go he see can Jojo even... Rabbit. Jojo Rabbit's amazing. Yeah, I actually do want to see that. It's really great. Really great. Uh, so yeah, I I dug the heck out of the show. I want more toys. There are a lot of characters that they need to make in plastic. Uh, Moff Gideon obviously needs to be done. Well, yeah, yeah, I want a Gideon bad. Uh, Zero, Berg, Zian, uh, basically Creel? basically everybody from Episode 6. Many versions of the Mandalorian. <laughs> yes. Well, oh, yeah. One character we didn't talk about that I would like to see is also the Armorer. Oh, the Armorer. Oh, yeah. uh, Emily Swallow, who I'm not familiar with. Yeah. but It's kind of created a whole new level of... Uh, uh, mythology for the Mandalorian yes. for this character. There, there's a certain level of not quite mysticism, but that that well, and again, that was another element where it was very video gamey. Is he yeah. had to to seek out the the lady in the cave? Yeah, it's a little Assassin's Creed kind of right. Yeah, uh, but she was great. And then what was so cool is you got the sense that she was a badass. Like, yes. she's kind of in charge. She's the chieftain or whatever the case may be. Like, she very clearly is an authority figure for these people. And then we get to see it in the last episode where she just takes out that whole squad with her tongs and her mallet or whatever. <laughs> I do want to know, the one thing that's burning a hole in my head is I want to know how this happened to the Mandalorians. Right. I, I want to know this purge. I want to know what happened. I don't. I want to know when. Um, do we know when the purge happened? Do we know anything about this yet? We don't, do we? I Not mean, really. I don't think it's got to take place during the Empire. Yeah, sometime around Empire Strikes Back. It seems after Rebels and before this, right? Right. So I just I'm really because we see because here's the thing that that. Real, me, real quick, real quick. Let me just say this. Yeah. Here's this because I feel like right. at some point we will see the purge, whether it be right. on Clone Wars, whatever. Here's all I want is for a, a Mandalorian at some point to say, "If only Boba was here." <laughs> <laughs> well, here, but Ryan, correct me if I'm wrong. Doesn't spoilers for people? Doesn't Rebels end with her on Mandalore? Yeah. And everything right. seems cool. It's fine, because, yeah, that's the end of it, is they wrestle control away from the Imperial back twins. She gives the Darksaber to, what's her name? And she's the new right. Mandalore, and then they right. leave. And then, um, she, and then Sabine stays through the war. Right. That's what I, and says, I mean, the line, I think, is, it was a period of peace. I, I thought about that the other day. There's something. period of peace. Are these guys, like, the Japanese soldiers who, like, didn't come out of the woods for three years type of thing? <laughs> Where, like, these, these Mandalorians think that they were destroyed, that their whole society was destroyed, and they're just out there, and no one's told them that they could go home? Or maybe these are, like, the hardcore religious, like, it's like a religious sect of the Mandalorians, which could explain the helmets, too. They're, like, yeah. traditionalists right. versus clan Fundamentalist Ren. Mandalorians. Right. <laughs> yeah. The show's yeah, going to take a real right-wing turn. I'm going to be real 
um, interested in, in when they have they officially established a timeline for this, like a time period for the show. I mean, we know it's after Jedi, but like when? I think they said five years after Jedi. Okay, so there's enough time in there, I guess, for that purge to happen, right? Between Jedi and now, there's I mean, enough. Yeah, time. how long does something like that have to take, really? Yeah, yeah. So there's 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 time before Mandalore to blow up again. Um, Mandalore is apparently oh, the it, Korean peninsula of Star Wars. It is literally five years after the fall of, Gal- of the Galactic Empire. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So there's there's time in there, I guess. Yeah. There's time in there. And and that would, to Ryan's point, that would be, you know, a good impetus to bring Sabine in, right? If something shitty right. has happened to Mandalore in the last five years, she probably knows about it and yeah. was involved. So, yeah. Uh, I, I'm curious to see, to hear about that um, and, and learn more about that. All right, guys. Well, I think we've covered everything uh, that we can reasonably cover in uh, under two hours. Yeah. So uh, before we go, uh, Chad, where can we find you online? What are you up to? Um, right now I'm unpacking boxes in my new house. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not doing anything. Uh, ChadJShonk.com for updates. Um, and uh, I will hopefully have uh, next month a new podcast coming out with Ryan here and also hopefully another one that I'm working on. So stay tuned for that. And uh, head of research, Ryan Schweck, I'm still waiting for the review of the black series wave two. <laughs> I know it ended on a cliffhanger. <laughs> I don't even know what wave two was anymore. No, I have no idea. Yeah. Let's see. What am I doing these days? I am going to as many Walgreens as possible to no find the step. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I couldn't. The Stepford Cuckoos from Marvel Comics, but I'm looking for Emma, I'm looking for the Cuckoos, I'm looking for Danny, who's now on Big Bad Toy Store for 30 bucks, which is really annoying. I think I know where an Emma is. I'll look tomorrow. Yeah, if you see one, grab it, because I probably won't have found one by the time Dragon Con comes around. Um, I was thrilled to find that Obi-Wan, though. I hadn't planned on buying him, but once I saw him in person... Oh, it's nice. Yeah, he's a really good figure. But uh, we'll save more toy talk for later because Toy Fair... (laughs) You guys are nerds. (laughs) We are nerds. (laughs) Toy Fair is right around the corner, so we'll be uh, getting together to talk about that pretty soon. You guys, thank you for sitting down talking about The Mandalorian. Absolutely. Uh, You know, we, we have a very interesting few years ahead of us because we have nothing until fall of this year uh, we don't know when that last season of Clone Wars is coming, or those last few episodes, I guess. Yeah, we do. Oh, we do? February uh, of next 17th? year. They just announced it last week. Wait, this year? Uh, this, year? this year, like, yeah, in like four weeks it comes out. Oh, wow. Okay, well, that's great. Yeah, I'm sure there won't that. be any toys, but whatever. Probably not. I know. But I am looking forward to that, and um, uh, Resistance will be ending its run pretty soon here. I've heard it's yeah. gotten good. It has. I, I like it quite a bit. I like okay. it quite a bit. I'll, it's, I'll it, check it out. Just like every Filoni show, and in my opinion, kind of like The Mandalorian, it starts off a little awkward, and then you kind of build into it. Um, uh, Filoni, at least he didn't do the show. Filoni has a, you know, he, he gets a, you annoying young character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You hate him, and he makes you like him, and that's what he's done yet again. Yeah, Clone Wars is February 17th. Okay, cool. Well, uh, maybe after that's done, we'll get back together and talk about that one. Absolutely. Awesome. Thanks a lot, you guys. All right, bye. 
Everybody remember to go check out Needless Things on Podbean, Needless Things Podcast, uh, Stitcher and Spotify and iTunes and wherever you get your podcasts and go, go rate it and share it and do all of the things that you know you should do if you like a podcast. And I feel like you like this podcast. I think you like this podcast. We're two hours and seven minutes in, and I think at this point you have to admit to yourself that you like it, and you should probably go comment, uh, write a review. I, I never remember to say write a review. I don't even know if we have any reviews. If, if, if I get them on iTunes or wherever, I, they don't let me know. They don't tell me these things. I have no idea. I just... I, I put this I put this baby together, I make this baby, and I just throw it out to the world. It, it's like uh, the movie Mother at the end, when the raving lunatics just, just take, uh, take old, poor old uh, J-Law. J-Law? Yeah, Jennifer Lawrence. Take her baby away from her. And just, you think they're going to just tear it to pieces. But you don't know. You hope maybe they took it somewhere and they loved it and they take care of it and they show it to other people and they say, hey, look at this baby. It's great. I really like it. What a weird place this has gone. But that's what happens when you've been up for 21 hours, I think, at this point. And i got to be back up in like five hours. I should probably get some sleep. I'm going to get some sleep. Uh, You guys, uh, Needless Things Podcast on Instagram, Phantom Troublemaker on Instagram, Uh, Spread the word, listen around, and keep an eye out for those Baby Yoda products. They're going to be hidden in a week, a month. I don't know. I love you guys. Thank you for listening to the Needless Things Podcast. You're the best. You can find the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Downcast, or in the ears of a Trader Vicks employee. Love you. Mean it. Uh Uh-huh.